Hi, this is Brett. Thank you for listening to my sermon podcast. If you find these messages to be valuable, please be sure to share them with your friends on social media. And remember, you can subscribe to my sermons on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. That way they're delivered to you hot and fresh as soon as they're available. And if you've been blessed by these messages, would you take a moment or two and leave a review on iTunes? That is a huge help when it comes to getting other people to listen. Thanks again, and I hope today's message is a blessing to you. Every now and then I have friends come visit who've never been to Kansas before. And so I take them on the tour. I give them the nickel tour. And first place they want to see is they want to see the church. And so I show them the church, I show them everything that we built. I take them out here and I show them the cases. I show them everything that we lost. And a lot of times, if they, like I say, if they've never been to Kansas before, I take them around town. I take them by and show them where I grew up. Show them my mom and dad's old house. And sometimes I'll take them by and show them the high school. So that's where I went to high school. Usually we have to go to moonshine, right? So, so I'll take them south of town. And as we're going south of town, we get to the hill. You, you know the hill? You know the hill south of town? And I'll tell them that that's the hill where on my graduation night, when I graduated from high school, that's the hill that I tried to impress a girl on, and I took it as fast as I could in my dad's old 67 Chevy Impala, and I took all four wheels up off the ground on that hill south of town. Now, first of all, it must have impressed her because she married me, so it worked. Uh... And I think it impressed Dad, too, because he told me that he never thought I would do something like that. Uh, so he was impressed, and he didn't think it was possible. He said, there's no way you can get all four wheels. He said, you did it. You got all four wheels up off the ground. We could tell from the damage afterwards that I'd gotten all four wheels up off the ground. I take him there, and I show him the hill because that's part of my story. That's part of my history. And that's something we do with people, right? We, we have places in our lives, little markers here or there, and whether we take them there physically or we just tell the stories, we take them back to those markers and we say something happened there, something in my life happened in, at that place. I, I've got a friend who we've driven by a bridge and he'll say, that's the bridge where I asked my wife to marry me. And he tells me the story almost every time. That's the bridge. And I'm like, I know, that's the bridge. There's other little... Roadside markers every now and then you'll see a little cross on the roadside and that tells you something something happened, some horrible thing had happened there. We go to gravesides, we visit gravesides, and we look at markers that tell about someone that we loved or someone that loved us. And and sometimes we take people to the hill south of town and show them the stupidest thing we ever did up to that point. Uh, <laughs> but the stupidest thing we did up until that point. And so Luke is very particular here in Luke chapter 3. He is very particular to tell us in chapter 3, verse 3, that John was baptizing in the wilderness, in the wilderness region around the Jordan. Now hear that carefully. John is baptizing in the wilderness. Don't think desert. Think in the wild. John is baptizing in a wild place where nobody lives. And yet... Somehow, crowds were coming there to hear John and to be baptized by John. Whole crowds were, were showing up out there. Why did they come to the wilderness to hear John preach? Why did they come to the wilderness, to a place where no one lived, to be baptized? Uh, it's part of their story. 
There's a marker out there. That, that area was, was part of their story. Hundreds of years earlier, in the wilderness, around the region of the Jordan, the, the prophet Elijah had been taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. It was in the wilderness around the Jordan where that happened. They, they thought that maybe John was Elijah come back. And so there they are in the place where John had been taken up. They're back out there look, you know, with John right then. Hundreds of years before that, when the children of Israel had finally crossed into the Promised Land, when Joshua led them into the Promised Land, where did they cross over? They crossed over the Jordan in the wilderness. The, the, the priests touched the, touched the river, the water separated, and they crossed over on dry land. They crossed there at the, at the Jordan in the wilderness. It probably didn't look like much. I mean, I've got friends who live in places where there are mountains and I show them the hills south of town. They're not impressed. They're not impressed at all. But there's a story attached to that location just like there's a story attached to John's location. And just as Joshua had crossed over and claimed the promised land, God wants to be in your story also. And I think that's one of the elements of baptism that we shouldn't miss. Baptism is part of your story. It is a place... It is a moment that you can take yourself to or you can take others to and you can say here, in this moment, here is where things changed for me. Here is where God showed up. And so as we look at the story of Jesus' baptism in John 3, or excuse me, Luke 3, that's an element that we don't want to miss. Because where, where John is baptizing communicates very much about who Jesus is, and the role of baptism in our lives. For one, what, what He's showing us in His location, He shows us that God's promise is open to everyone. Now here's, here's a very important thing that I don't want you to miss about what's happening out here in the wilderness, out here in, in chapter 3 of Luke. And it's one thing that we could miss because culturally we just don't really get it. But I want you to hear this very carefully. What Luke wants us to understand first of all in chapter 3 is that everything John was doing was wrong. Everything John is doing out there in the wilderness baptizing people is wrong by the standards of a culture that said if you want to find God, you have to come to us first. You have to come to our temple. You have to come to our priests. If you want to meet God, you have to come through us. Otherwise, you are lost in the wilderness. You are not welcome here. We're beginning in, in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 22. Just as last week, we're continuing on, and it's page 858. Hopefully, if the internet is working, you, you've got it pulled up on your, on your U version, on your, on your app. I, I, the notes are all there. Verse 3 again of chapter 3. Luke tells us, and he, that is John, went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it's there in verses 7 and verse 10 that Luke tells us that crowds came. In both those verses, he says crowds came to that area. John is baptizing. And I mentioned to you last week, the Jews also baptized because see, that's not unusual they already baptized but what's unusual is the location it's in the wilderness that's not where you're supposed to baptize people you're supposed to baptize people at the temple 
And they're also being baptized by John. Not a priest in his priestly garb, but John, this very rough-looking guy in, in a camel's hair coat. It's simply not how it's supposed to be done. And yet, crowds are coming to John in this un, uninhabited place. Mobs are showing up to be baptized. And Luke tells us some of their stories. He says in verse 12 that tax collectors were coming. Tax collectors. Tax collectors were traitors to their own people. They were traitors to the Jews. Tax collectors were Roman collaborators. They would steal money from their own people and pay the Romans the taxes. And the way they made money, the way they made their own money, their own fortune, was to, was to add a little bit extra to that tax. Sometimes add a lot extra to the taxes. And they would steal money from their own people and grow wealthy off of the tyranny of the Romans. I, I don't think the Bible ever tells a single story of an actual tax collector going to the temple. But Jesus made one up. Jesus made up a story. In Luke chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus tells a parable, a story about a tax collector going to the temple. Luke 8, verse 10, it says, two men, Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And everyone listening to Jesus right in that moment went, <gasps> collector at the temple tax collectors don't go to the temple jesus tells the story two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee the other one a tax collector the pharisee standing by himself away from that tax collector the pharisee standing by himself prayed thus god i thank you that i am not like other men i am not an extortioner I am not unjust, I am not an adulterer, and I'm not even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They knew they were not welcome. They knew they didn't belong in the temple. They knew they were not wanted. But they came to John. Verse 14, he says that soldiers came to be baptized. And we're left to wonder about that. He doesn't give us a lot of details. He doesn't tell us what kind of soldiers. And so we're left to wonder about the possibilities. There's a chance these were Roman soldiers. There's a chance that these were Gentiles coming out and they'd heard about John and they came out and were impressed and, and they decided to get baptized. That would be interesting. Later on in, in Luke's second book, in the book of Acts, we read about a, a Roman soldier named Cornelius who, who went to be baptized, who, who, who met Jesus. But in verse 20, we're told that Herod, the, the Jewish regent over the area of Jerusalem, we're told that Herod wanted John in prison. He wanted to arrest John. And we're told that he had John arrested. And so we're wondering, could these be temple soldiers? Could these be soldiers that were sent out there into the, into the wilderness to arrest John and they end up getting baptized by John? Wouldn't that be a great story? We, we don't know for sure, but that, that very well could be who these men were. John takes this act of, of baptism, an act that was exclusively performed at the temple, an act that was exclusively performed by those in authority, and he opens it up to everyone. It is a place where everyone is welcome. 
And that's something we dare not miss about baptism. Baptism is not about exclusivity. It's not about, well, this is only for us. It's not about coming to a place where you have to meet my standards before I can let you meet God. It's about recognizing your need. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it's about finding mercy and finding forgiveness. And because the promise is open to everyone, baptism is a story that we can all share. Wes Parker was telling me a while back his story. Wes was telling me his story about when he baptized his two sons. His sons were ready. His sons wanted to be baptized. And they started wondering, well, where are we going to go get them baptized? Who's going to baptize them? And Wes said, you know, we got a pool right here and I can do it. And so Wes decided to baptize his, his kids there in the pool. I love that. And then Wes told a friend about that. And his friend said, you can't do that. You're not a preacher. You've got to have a preacher. You've got to have someone ordained, didn't they? You've got to have someone ordained if you're going to be baptized, to, to baptize you. And I love what Wes's response was. Wes's response was, show me. Show me that in the Bible. Show me in the Bible where it says it's only for preachers. That, it doesn't say that. And, and I love that we can look at, at the baptisms here. I, I love that we can see fathers baptizing their kids, that we can see mothers baptizing their kids here. We've actually had kids baptize their parents here at our church also. I love those connections. And that's something that baptism needs to communicate. It becomes a story that we can all share. All of us. I told you last week and earlier that the Jews practiced baptism. They would, uh, they would baptize as a way of, of cleansing themselves as they were going in to worship at the temple. All around the temple in Jerusalem, there were these baptismal pools where, where they would go to the pool first and they would dip themselves in the pool to cleanse themselves before going in for worship. The Jews also baptized Gentiles. Uh, when a Gentile would convert to Judaism, a Gentile would, become, would be baptized along with some other things they would do. But one of the things was they would baptize them. And my understanding is they would baptize the Gentiles as a way of connecting them to the story of the Jews. You remember at one time they were slaves in Egypt and God led them across the Red Sea and as they crossed the Red Sea, they passed through the water into freedom. And baptism was a way of saying to these Gentiles who wanted to become Jews, you have now crossed into freedom. You were slaves just like we were slaves. You've now crossed through the water just like we've crossed through the water. You're now free. Our story is your story. We share that story. It's for all of us. Last week I told you my story. January 6th. 1984. I got a pie this week for my story, by the way. Thank you, Dina. I got a pie for my, uh, my anniversary of my baptism. Over the week, over the course of the week, some of you shared your stories with me. Glenette was telling me her story. Glenette remembered that it was Easter when she got baptized, and she remembered what the year was, but she didn't know the day. So we used Google. Asked Google what day Easter was that particular year, and Glenette was baptized on April 10th, 1955. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, and then Sue Tribby was telling me that she remembered that it was February 16th of a particular year uh, when, when she gave her life to Christ, when she accepted Christ as her Lord. And her parents weren't really sure about that, right? They weren't really sure if this was serious, if she was really knew what she was doing. And so they made her wait, and they saw a change in her. And so in June that year, she was allowed to be baptized. I remember Gracie's baptism for her. It was 
July 6th, 2014. I remember Gracie coming to me and saying, about time I got baptized, don't you think? I was like, well, oh, I think so. I remember Megan's baptism. We're a little sketchy about the date exactly, but we remember details. Maybe you don't remember the date, but you remember the water, I bet. I bet you remember the temperature of the water. I bet you remember the feeling. And you remember the promises that you received. And you remember promises that you received just like, just like everyone else. John ties his baptism to the message that he was preaching and the way that he was preparing his world for Jesus. Verses 4-9, through he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. John says, "...as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight." Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You hear that? He prepares the way. He makes the path straight. He says He fills in the valleys and He lowers the mountains. Nobody has the high road when they come to God. Nobody has an easier path than you. Nobody has to take the long way around. And there's nothing in the path that trips anyone up. We all take the same path. We all take the same promise. I think that's what Paul's trying to say in Ephesians chapter 4 where he reminds them, he says, "...with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bear with one another in love." eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says in verse 4, there is one body. In other words, there is one church. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One baptism. Now, Now hear that. Hear that very carefully because what Paul is not saying is there's only one baptism. He's not talking about sprinkling as opposed to immersion or or immersion as opposed to pouring water as as others have that practice. He says there's one baptism. There is one baptism that everyone shares. There is not a super baptism that costs you extra. Okay? He's not saying, yeah, you got baptized in tap water back here in the baptistry, but they filled it full of Perrier for me. Uh, Cost a little extra. But I got Perrier in my baptistry and the effervescence really cleanses the sin away. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying there's a, there's a special baptism just for apostles. You know, if you're an apostle, you get the special deluxe uh, edition baptism that's just for apostles. Or if you're a prophet, or if you're a preacher, or if you're a, if you're a missionary, you get a special baptism. No, there is one baptism that we all share. John comes preparing the way for the Lord and and the Lord finds His way to you just like He finds His way to me. Baptism is part of that story. It's a story that we all share. And it's a story we share with Jesus. Verse 21, Luke tells us that Jesus came to be baptized also. He shares our story. We share His. And that's another blessing from baptism. Baptism is a statement of allegiance. With Jesus. Baptism is a pledge of allegiance with Jesus. Luke tells us that there was some confusion about who John was and 
and what John was doing out there in the wilderness. Verse 15, it says, As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. And John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than me is coming, and the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barns, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then verse 18 says, and so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. He calls it good news. And yet he's just talked to them about an unquenchable fire. And he's talked to them about a winnowing fork that divides and separates the wheat, the good stuff, from the chaff, the bad stuff. And yet he calls it good news. And in the very next verse, we find out that Herod is not happy about John's message. Herod, the the tetrarch, Herod the one who's in charge back in Jerusalem where the temple is, Herod is not happy about John's message because John has has said some things about Herod. Verses 19 and 20, but Herod the tetrarch, who had been reproved by John for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, he added this to them and he locked up John in prison. A line had been drawn. And the line was, whose side are you going to be on? Are you going to be on John's side? Or are you going to be on Herod's side? You see, Herod was fine with what was happening back at the temple. Herod was fine with what they were doing at the temple because the temple could be controlled. But John was out here in the wilderness. And the question becomes, what side are you going to be on? Herod's side or John's side? And the question is also, what side is God? going to be on. And so we read on in verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are My beloved Son. With You I am well pleased. Did you notice Luke leaves out a lot in his story? There's a lot that Luke doesn't tell us here. There's a lot of stuff missing. If you read Matthew's account, Matthew talks about how John says to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, you must do this because this, is, this needs to be done to fulfill all righteousness. Luke doesn't bother with that. <clears throat> That's not part of his concern. Rather, Luke simply tells us Jesus showed up to be baptized just like everyone else. Just like everyone else, Jesus also showed up to be baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on Him. This voice comes out of the heavens saying, this is My beloved Son and I am pleased with Him. God shows up. John is doing everything wrong by their society standards. John's in the wrong place. He's the wrong guy. He should not be doing this. But God shows up. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It's the day of Pentecost. Peter's just preached his sermon to the crowds and he's convicted the crowds in their hearts. And and the crowd says, what must we do? And Acts 2.38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, every one of you, 
for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will show up. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus is ready to ascend back to the Father. He gives the disciples their final orders. He gives them what we call the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God shows up. Your story might have some rough spots in it. Your story might have a hill south of town or, or maybe even something worse. Your story might have a place where you messed up. Your story might have a place where, where you felt unworthy, where you felt like that tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But John's message is that the path has been, the path has been leveled. The high places have been made low. The low places have been made high. The playing field has been leveled and the path to Jesus has been made straight. Baptism is part of that story. Baptism is a place where God promises to show up. I love how Peter puts it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, I love how Peter puts it. And I love how the NIV translates it the old niv some of you probably have nivs today because i think it really speaks to us it's there in first peter chapter 3 that peter compares baptism to noah's ark noah's ark is another story where someone was saved by passing through the water right where where all of humanity is saved by passing through the water god protected those who are on the boat who passed through the water and in verse 21 peter says this water symbolizes baptism which now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. How many of us grew up reciting the Pledge of Allegiance in school, right? Every day you'd stand there and you'd face the flag and you'd hold your hand over your heart and you would recite, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We, We would all recite the pledge No one had a special deluxe pledge. Did you notice that? Did you notice there wasn't a special pledge for parents that that made a little more money than other parents? Do you notice there wasn't? Do you notice that the Democrats don't have a different pledge than the Republicans? It's it's all the same pledge. We all get the same pledge of allegiance. There is one pledge. Baptism is like that. It unites us all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism baptism links us together in our relationship with jesus baptism gives us all a story that we can share baptism gives us all a place where we can take ourselves and we can say that's where it happened that's where it all changed god showed up when i did that And there'll be times when we feel down and discouraged. Times we feel like we have failed ourselves and God and we can go back to that story and say, no, things are different and here is why. And baptism is a place we can take other people too as we we share our story. It's kind of like the hill south of town, only it's better. You know, my dad didn't yell at me after getting baptized. It's a story that didn't cost me anything. Rather, 
Jesus met me there. He paid the price and He saved me. And in your darkest moments, when you doubt yourself, you can know, you can know because that is part of your story also. And so we're going to sing a song in just a moment. It's a song that we've sung many times. A song with three verses. And we're going to invite you at this time if you would like to make this part of your story. And as we sing the song, if today is the day when you welcome Jesus in a new way into your story, we just invite you to come. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love for you to find your own story, to know His promise, to know His presence, to make that part of your story also. If that's something you think you need today, please come forward. Bring a friend with you. If you don't want to come by yourself, let me pray with you. And let's arrange to have you encounter Jesus in a way that promises God shows up. Let's stand together and sing.